You all recognize that coming from Revelation, right? Book of Revelation, right out of the scriptures. He is worthy. So yeah, I got a little bit of, of a frog this morning in my, my voice, and, uh, and I'm, if, I, if my radio voice, and if I get halfway through the sermon and I stopped and someone else jump up, <laughs> jump up. And I, I brought water up here. I usually don't bring water up here, but I, I brought water up here. But it reminds me of a joke. Where the preacher was the preacher was preaching and preaching. He was always drinking. He's drinking water and he's drinking water. And the guy turns over to his wife and he says, That's the first windmill I've ever seen run by water. <laughs> I resent that. All right, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So, uh, uh, Pat and Marv are back, back in the back there. Did you see them when you came in? They're kind of a big deal around here, you know. <laughs> it's good to have you guys back with us. It's been a long journey for a lot of folks, hasn't it been? And you've gone not just through COVID, but with your, your other health injuries. And we're glad that the Lord has healed you and brought you. All right, we're going to start in the first chapter of Ephesians. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer first. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, the privilege of being in your presence. We're thankful for one another, for the family of God here, for the richness of our history that we have with one another, uh, for the love that's here. We pray, Lord, as we share together from the scriptures that uh, the love we, we know, the love that we have for one another comes from our union that we have with you. And we ask, Lord, that that union in the days and years to come will become stronger and stronger until there is that day where the one who is worthy uh, breaks the seal, opens the scroll, and the Lord returns. And we look forward to that. And we thank you for the, 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 the great plan of salvation that uh, there's going to be a day when all the things of this world are going to pass and everything becomes new. We ask, Lord, that you bless us as we look at this word today. Uh, bless it to our hearing and our understanding. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin, and let's just read 1 through 8 if we can. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Lord, add his blessings to the scripture. Please be seated. Let's, uh, let's say this together, shall we? The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. Father, we're thankful again for the word. As we share it this morning, we ask, Lord, that you, you would carry it 
into each heart and each life um, for your purpose. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So for the next couple of weeks, maybe months, who knows, we don't know, uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians and talking about the book of Ephesians, which is about the church of Jesus Christ. And starting in verse 3, that we, uh, through verse 14, if you look at that, 3 through 14 is, in the Greek, it's just one long sentence. Uh, it's not broken up like we have it here. It's all one long sentence in the Greek. It's complex, it's magnificent, it's, it's very rich. It's very rich. So the first astonishing claim that we have here is in verse 3. It says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and that's past tense. It's pa he has blessed us, past tense, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That's an absolute language, every, everything, every spiritual language, uh, blessing in Christ Jesus. The word blessed or to be blessed in Scripture, which is used a lot. You know, today, it basically, it's how we would use it. We, we're, we just wish someone well. Bless you. You know, you'll have someone say, well, well bless your heart. Or, you know, have a blessed day. Uh, I was up in, um, in, uh, in Flint the other day because I'd done a wedding, and I had to redo some of the stuff that was on the marriage license, and there's there two ladies there, and they would say, have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. And it's used a lot. Uh, that's not the way the New Testament uses it. Uh, in terms of how we use it today. The word blessed is closer to the word shalom. It has that kind of connotation to it. It means every joy, every benefit, every good thing, the heart and soul, it's everything you long for. Have a blessed day in your life. So here we're told, if, if you're a Christian, you have already been blessed because it's past tense, you know? Uh, and you already have every spiritual blessing. Do you know that? You always already have every spiritual blessing. So what does that mean? How do we know that? And how does it play itself out? Well, first of all, we're asking that question. How do we get every spiritual blessing in our life? Now, how is that possible? The answer in a series of phrases that basically all mean the same thing, and it goes bang, 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 bang here in this passage of Scripture. There's a repetition of these things to show us how important it is for our lives. We get every spiritual blessing in verse 3, in Christ, it says, in Christ. In verse 4, it says, in Him, again. And in verse 6, it says, in the one He loves, talking about God. We have this in God, our Father. And then in verse 7, it says, in Him, we have redemption. You see what's going on here and what he's, what he's trying to say and how he's using the scriptures? To become a Christian is not simply to get the Lord as your king and obey, although it is, or have an example to follow, although he is an example to follow, or even a savior to be grateful that he saved us and came into our lives. He's all of those things. But when you become a Christian, when you believe in him, when you rest in him, when you are put in him, everything he has is yours. Now, we talked about this a little bit at the Good Friday service. We were, we were sharing this. Everything he has becomes yours. And that's the whole intent of what he's saying here in this first chapter. It means we are united to Christ. We are fused together in him. First, we're, we're united to Christ legally. 
It's a legal term that's used in Scripture. If you marry someone, and many of you are, um, let's say you are absolutely poor, you know, and uh, you have no money, you, you marry somebody who is absolutely wealthy. That's why I marry my wife. <laughs> you know, Mary. <laughs> you have nothing, but that person has everything. They're, they're extremely wealthy. And you get married, now the wealth becomes legally yours. It becomes legally yours. Even though you didn't earn it, you had no part in it of the accumulation of that wealth. And so it is with Christ Jesus. And that's what Scripture says. When you believe in Him, you are legally now united to Him in your life. For example, the whole chapter of Romans 6, read it uh, when you get home. The whole sixth chapter of Romans speaks of this being united with Christ and how that works out in, in our lives. It says in the fifth verse of the sixth chapter of Romans, we have been united with him in his death. We have been united with him in his death. That means what Jesus did on the cross and what he accomplished there on the cross is now ours. What did he do on the cross? What did he accomplish on the cross? The penalty paid is now yours. You know, the freedom he won on the cross is now yours. And then in the very next verse, in verse 6 of Romans 6, it says, united with him in his resurrection. So all of these things that he accomplished on the cross that we sang about this morning, you know, we're being told it's as if all of Jesus' awards, everything that Jesus did, all the honors that are pinned to his chest for everything that he accomplished, we're in him. We have these things as well in our lives. We're legally made one with him. All the things he accomplished are now ours in Christ. So union means that we are united legally. Legally. And it has to do with the other benefits like justification and adoption and all that plays itself together, right? But it's also true that we're united organically. What do I mean by organically? Well, when I put Mary in the hospital and they did all the tests and whatever they did with her on her physicality, uh, the doctors came and said, well, we looked at her and everything is okay organically. That means her, her body, everything about her is fu functioning normally. And then they called in the psych team. So there was something else going on there. So that's what this means here. Organic, we're, we're united organically to Christ. The, the, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. It dwells us, becomes part of us. And, and the benefits of that are new birth and a character change. Our character begins to change. And eventually glorification, right? We sang about that. Eventually glorification that's, that's coming which means a perfect, sin-free, suffering-free existence that's going to come into our lives that's in the future. In him, every spiritual benefit, everything he has is ours. You're united to him. Think about that. You're united to him. Becoming a Christian, and, and people think this, is, is really not a process. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you why. It's not a process. Uh, you're, you're either in him or you're not. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You have all the benefits. That's what Ephesians is saying and Paul's trying to say to the church here. Even though it, it takes all of our lifetime to work these things into our hearts, 
to work all of that he's doing for us into our minds so that we really understand these things in our life. You're in him or you're not. You have benefits or you don't have any benefits. But it's not really a process. Um, If you ask the average person today in our country, are you a Christian? They may say, no, I I don't believe. I'm not a Christian. Or they may say, well, I'm trying to. I hope I am, which shows that they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. And uh, you're either adopted or you're not. It's that simple. Either you're in him or you're not. That's it. That's it. You're pardoned and you're accepted. That's what this is saying. Or you're not. You're born again or you're not. You know, you're in him or you're not. You know, years ago, I remember when I was in Philadelphia, I was going to school in Philadelphia in seminary. Uh, and I was reading at that time because uh, uh, C. Everett Koop was the uh, Surgeon General of the United States, but I was reading his autobiography. Uh, he was a Christian guy, and I was interested in him. He, uh, he was at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, which I knew well because I did some training there at Lankanal Hospital in Philadelphia on City Line, Lancaster Avenue. And he probably was there at the same time I was, but he didn't call on me. Didn't, didn't know I was there, probably. You know, but his wife, he, he was saying in the autobiography that his wife pretty much dragged him to church. He didn't want to go to church. And his wife is dragging him to church, and he went to the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, which is a storied church. It's where uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse taught for years and years and years. And uh, he began going to the evening service. And there's the church there. I went there on evenings, on Sunday evenings too, because I wanted to hear. Barnhouse had already passed away, but there was a guy by the name of Dr. James Boyce, which I really loved hearing. And I would sit up in the balcony up there, and I would go to the evening service at that church. And so I'm familiar with all this, this, you know, where he's at here with everything. And he says when he first heard Barnhouse preach, when he was preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel, he heard him. He disagreed. He said almost with everything he said, I disagree with everything he says. And he wasn't real happy. His wife had him there and dragged him in there. And then he says, you know, he says, after a little over a year, he realized he believed all of it. (laughs) He believed all of it. Slowly he had come to say in his life, okay, I can see that. Okay, I'll grant that. Okay. You know, slowly he was not just intellectually convinced. Slowly he began to get personally convicted by the Holy Spirit in his life, and he began to give more and more of his heart to God. Now, when he looked back at it, he was asked a question, because people ask these questions, and he was asked a question. He says, he says, somewhere in that year, I don't know when it was, but at some point I gave myself to Christ. I gave myself to Jesus. At some point it happened. I can't quite remember when. The point is, there was a point. There was a point. There was a time. Something happened in his life. He knows there was a certain spot where he gave his heart to the Lord. He can't remember when he said, I take my hands off my life and I trust in you as my Savior and my Lord and what you've done for me on the cross. There was a point that that happened. It doesn't have to be a dramatic process, you know, but there is always a point. There is always a point. 
And the reason there has to be a point, now listen to me, and this is, this is the truth of Scripture. The reason there has to be a point, either you're in or you're out of Christ, is because salvation is by grace, not by works. There has to be a point because of the grace of God. If it was something you could earn, then there would be stages, kind of like Scientology, you know, where Tom Cruise, he's into Scientology. So you start on this level, and you've got to pay so much money, so they'll get done with you there. You move to the second level, you pay a little bit more money. That would work out good here. Move to the next level. You had like 12 levels. I think it's 12 levels in Scientology. I'm not sure. But every level costs more money. So you're getting closer to God. It's more, more expensive. You know? It's not like that at all. And what Christ is saying, either you're married or you're not married. You know? And I can tell you stories about that. <laughs> Therefore, in Him, Scripture says, we have these things because we're in Him. We're in Him. And I hope you understand the power of this. Of what Scripture is saying. Paul, Paul persecuted the church. He persecuted the church. He had people killed for their faith. He was against the church. And later on, he knew a lot of people whose family members he had killed. And he was walking among them. Think about it. Think about the dynamics of that. He, there was relatives, there was friends there that he had massacred some of them. How did he live with that? How did he live with that? How did he overcome that in his life? I mean, that's terrible when you think about it. In 2002, there was a movie called Heaven. It wasn't a very, it wasn't a blockbuster or anything, but it was an interesting movie. It was a story about a school teacher in a poor part of the city, and she sees a drug dealer. It was another teacher friend of hers who was a drug dealer, hurting, ruining the lives of the kids that, around her with, with drugs. And she, she, she plants a bomb in his office. She, want, she wants to do away with him. So she plants a bomb in his office to kill him. The bomb goes off at the wrong time, the wrong place, and a lot of innocent people died. And the movie goes on. When she finds out, she's destroyed. She did a bad thing. And she's destroyed by it. And the rest of her life, she can't come o overcome this sense of self-loathing. What did I do? Look at the people's lives. Look at the families that I destroyed. And it was just crushing her with, with guilt from what she did. And here's Paul confidently saying, no condemnation. Think of it. Think of it. How can he be so confident? How can he be so confident? And I'll tell you how. We know the passage of Scripture. It's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Just what we're talking about. In Christ Jesus. He's in Christ now. Paul is saying, in myself, I'm miserable. I've done terrible things. I'm poor, I have nothing, but in Him, I'm rich. I'm rich. I have everything. Do you see the power of that? See the power of what's, what's being said in Scripture here? So secondly, as we look at this, what, what spiritual blessing do we get by being in Christ? Right? What does it happen? When Paul says every spiritual blessing, 
Let, let me show you just two. And there's much more that I could do. The two that he mentions here in the book of Ephesians are adoption and redemption. Those are the two. In verse 5, it comes up if you're looking at your scriptures. Paul says, we are adopted as his children, as his sons. Adoption means through Christ, God is not just your king. He's not just your deliverer. He becomes your father. That's important. He becomes your father. You're brought into a family. You're part of the family of God. Adoption, first of all, means access. You have access. And the, all, the, all the illustrations that, are, that, I, that I, I read about this are about, you know, you're coming in the presence of a king or the president. You can't do that. You've got to have an audience. You've got to, someone's got to help you. If, if you're a child of a president or you're a child of a king, you just go in. It's your father. You know, it's your father. You go in without an appointment. You can run right into his arms. Why? Because he's your father. You know, Hunter Biden. Father. Go right in. Anytime. Anytime. Um, you're his child. Do you realize what that means? To have access to God? Nobody has that except if you're in Christ. Access. Access. Secondly, adoption means inheritance. Inheritance. If anybody says, you know, what a, what a shame Paul didn't have uh, gender uh, neutral language. And, and a lot of things have changed like that. And, and a lot of scripture is gender neutral in what it says. But in Roman times, only sons would be heirs, right? Only sons would be heirs and inherit the property of their father. When Paul repeatedly says to Christians, and he's talking about men and women here, both, you know, you have all been adopted a children of God. You're children of God. He's saying men and women are co-heirs of this future that God has. We will inherit the earth. We will inherit the world together. We're adopted in him. We're going to inherit the new heavens and a new earth that's yet to be, that's coming, because it's our fathers, and it becomes ours. It becomes ours. Adoption also means security, that you're secure. You know, a lot of people are insecure today with things. If you're an employee and, 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 and you have an, an employer... How far do you go before that person fires you? And what can you get away with? You know? We don't think like that, of course. We're all very hard workers. Everybody has their limits, you know? I can remember Wayne Fonts. You remember Wayne, Wayne Fonts from the Detroit Lions? He was the coach of the Lions for years and years. He started one year. He, I mean, he'd lost so many games. <laughs> he comes on the news. And he's, he's got this big cigar, and he's walking around. He says, and he, I think he'd lost like 10 games in a row, and he says, what's a guy got to do to get fired around here? You know? And I thought that was such a funny line. You know, what's a guy got to do to get fired around here? And he was stomping around, stomping around. But if you're a child and this is your father, Brandon, I'm going to talk to you. I mean, you work with your father, right? What's it take for you to get fired? Not going to happen, right? No, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen, you know? It's kind of like forever stuff. We're in that with Christ. You're secure in his love because he's not just your king. He's not just your boss. He's your father. God is our father because of what Jesus has done. Because we're in Jesus, we're in the father. And we have access. One more thing, discipline. 
Discipline. We don't talk about this one enough. Fathers discipline their kids. Now, I worked for my dad, Brandon, for a while, too. I was a custodian in the church for a while, and, and sometimes I, I did pretty bad. I was in a hurry to go date a girl or something like that, and I didn't clean like I should. And uh, my father was also the one who disciplined. And he called me in the office, and he just shake his head and said, Thomas, Thomas, don't do that. You clean that up. <laughs> We're paying you to clean that up. Fathers discipline us. And one of the things about fathers is they care enough about us to discipline us, right? And because your father is in charge of the universe, your father is going to turn the bad things in your life into good things. We, we have that promise in Scripture as well. He's going to make you more mature. He's going to make you, 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 you toe the line in certain ways. He's going to turn the bad things into good things and, and, and help you with your life, you know? Bad things that happen are parts of his ways of showing you how to grow up. When, when, when struggles come into your life, things you're not aware, you know, all of a sudden, you know, five years ago I was this, today I'm this, with, with certain things in my life. I didn't see these things coming, but God knew they were there. And he takes these things and he builds them into our lives for a reason, for a purpose. And that's to grow us up, to mature us into what he wants us to be into the likeness of our brother, who is Jesus, right? Jesus is our brother. God the Father, Jesus becomes our brother. It's all a part of adoption. It's all a part of adoption. I'm just showing you five or six aspects of, of, of one spiritual blessing that we have in Scripture. Third question that I would ask, I look at this, why, why can we have every spiritual blessing? Why, why can we have these things? Verse 7, go back to Ephesians, verse 7. It says there, it says, in him we have redemption. That's a big word. Redemption is a loaded word, actually. It, it, it looks like payment, and it is, but actually it's the word for ransomed. You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed. You're not just paying a debt, which, but you are. You're being ransomed from something. You're being taken out of something. You're being taken from captivity. It's a ransom. You're, you're redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. You're not just paying a debt. It's liberating. It's, 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 it's being released from slavery, from something that's holding you. So it has that connotation to it as well. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, we all know who he is. He was a student of Christianity. And he, he made this statement. He said... Uh, Eastern and Western religions agree that human beings are not free. We're all slaves. We're slaves to selfishness. We're slaves to our own egos. And uh, so we're grasping at things because our egos are so needy. We need so much. We're needy people. We want things. We need popularity. We want people to like us. We need love. We need people to care for us. We need status. We need money. We need power. You know, uh, th that's why the world is so miserable today. We see a lot of this just running rampant. Gandhi's understanding of Christianity was that in Jesus, we have a way to be really free. Now, now follow me here and what I have to say. Freed from the selfishness, free from the, the egocentric uh, uh, minds that we have that bind us. And he, and he asked the question, Gandhi, what is it? And Gandhi says, well, it's Jesus' example. It's Jesus' example. Jesus was the ultimate example of nonviolence. 
Jesus was the ultimate example of giving up wealth and power, the ultimate example of sacrifice and service. And so looking at Jesus loving and giving and serving and dying for others, then you'll see what it will, it will liberate you, it will move you from your own selfishness. It will redeem you and get you out of your slavery. And with all due respect, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. What Jesus did blows my mind. It blows my mind. I don't think that what Gandhi is saying works. In all honesty, if you look hard at the life of Jesus Christ, it's pure, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. There's no ego at all. It's so astounding when you look at Christ. He is a free man, totally free. He's not driven by the need of security. He's not driven by, he doesn't need approval of, of anyone. He doesn't need power. And when I see him forgiving everyone and loving everyone and serving everyone and dying for everyone, I think, I can't do that. I can't do that. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel worse. Listen, the Bible, the Bible says we need to understand why we're selfish. Why are we selfish? Why our egos are so needy? They're, they're, and here's why. The Bible says all human beings, all people, at some level, know they aren't what they should be. And I could look at you right now and say, are you what you should be? And at some level, no, you're not. And the Bible says everybody, every human being at some level knows they're not what they should be. Right? Is that right? I think it's right. I think it's right. Uh, I think if we go back to Genesis, it's like we all feel naked. We're like Adam and Eve. We all feel naked. About we're, not, we're not right. There's something that's, that's, that's not right. At some level, we're not right with things. We know we need to be better than we are. We need, we need to do better. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better husband. Yeah, I, there, at some level, I need, to, you know, I need to be a better pastor. I, 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 I didn't do this, and I should have done it. And at some level, we're, 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 we're screwing around with this stuff. Everybody senses a need to improve themselves in their lives to cover themselves because we do feel naked. So we try to reassure ourselves and other people that we're okay, and we do all kinds of things to do that. We want people to think we're all right. And I'm going to tell you real up front right now, I'm not all right. So <laughs> get over it, you know. Uh, but we do all kinds of things. We do all kinds of things. Uh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be beautiful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take better care of myself, my, just my flesh. I'm going to be powerful. Or I'm going, to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to make money. I'm going to, I'm going to be accomplished. I'm going to, I'm, and we push, we push, we push. There, there are religious ways, too, that we do this in our lives. I'm going to be a good, good person, a better person, a, a good father or a good mother. I'm going to be a, a, good, a devout person. Do you realize that if, if you turn to those things and you say, this is going to cover me, this is going to make me feel like I'm the person that I ought to be, Right? In other words, you're essentially trying to earn. 
you're essentially trying to earn that by looking at those things. And those things enslave you. Because I'm, you know, you're watching me now, so I got to do, so now I'm watching you. You know. To show you how pervasive this is, uh, let, let's just take ministers. I'm very familiar with ministers. Uh, and, I, and I hate to air dirty laundry, but I'm retiring, so why not? <laughs> if, you, if you care about ministry, if you care about ministry and success in ministry and effectiveness in ministry, if you're not doing well at it, you feel, you feel that. You feel sad. Things are not going good. Things are not going good. And you can feel that. If somebody's getting in your way of you doing ministry, you're, you're angry at that person or you get mad at that person. So there's the, the, the sensitivity to things. If there's a threat to the effectiveness, you, you'll be anxious about things that are happening or things that are going. So you're, you can get sad and you're mad. You can be anxious about things. So when you find yourself not doing well, in ministry, I'm talking to pastors here, you're devastated by that. I mean, this is your calling. You're devastated by that. Or when you find somebody making your ministry difficult, you get angry at them. Don't do this. You're, you're making it hard for me. You know, you're making me struggle with this. You're, you're, you're seen as a threat, right? Or you're paralyzed with fear. Do you know what your problem is? Here's the problem. And I'll be very frank about this. The problem is you're not serving God. It's that simple. You're not serving God. You're serving ministry. And it's killing you. And there's a lot of pastors that are being killed by ministry. They're serving ministry. They're not serving God. You serve God. You're called to God. That's your primary calling is to God. And you go to Him. And that's true of your lives too, Christians. Your primary calling is to him. And from that, everything else flows. Everything else flows. So um, you can do that with anything, with parenting, with your job, with your career. It, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. You need to be redeemed. You need to be redeemed from those things. If you love anything more than God, the thing that you love more than God will kill you. It'll demand from you. You'll become a slave to it. Uh, make God real. Make God real. Or that thing that you're doing is going to drive you into the ground. How does Jesus redeem us? Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7. Through the blood. Look what it says there. It's through his blood. Freely given to us through his blood. If I see Jesus forgiving and serving and, 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 and loving and dying for others, all that does is make me a little bit anxious. But when I see him dying for me, that he died for me, dying in my place, loving me that much, caring for me, if I know he has taken away the penalty for what's wrong with me, my sins, my, my anxiousness, my, my eagerness, that he's willing to come to earth and do that for me. Don't you see, on the one hand, on the one hand, I've been accepted. I've been pardoned. That gets rid of my fear and my shame. 
And now I finally see the overwhelming love that I've been looking for. It's only when I see the blood. Only when I see the blood that he shed for me. And it's all done for me in my place that I'm redeemed. It's through the blood. That's it. It's through the blood. And because God has redeemed me and I believe in him as my Lord and Savior, then I spend the whole rest of my life working that into my heart. Now that's where the, you know, when Paul says work out yourself, that's where he said, working, working these things into your heart. It's, it, it's, it's because it's already happened to you. You're already a child of God. Now work that into your heart. Meditate upon that in your heart. So then I, I, I can spend the whole rest of my life you know, working that into my life and into my heart. And the more and more I do that, the more I find myself free. The more I find myself free. Now, here's the thing. Even though we have every spiritual blessing, which Scripture says we do, we haven't realized every spiritual blessing. We have it, but we haven't realized it. Otherwise, we'd be perfectly happy, wouldn't we? If we, if we had every, we'd be perfectly happy today, you know? We'd be perfectly confident We'd be perfectly courageous. And yet we have everything we need already in us to live that kind of life that we dream. It's there. It's there. Last thing. How do you know if you have every spiritual blessing? How do you know if you've trusted in the blood of Christ in your life? If you've been redeemed, if you've been adopted, right? How do you know? What's the answer? It's in verse 6. Look at it there. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. That phrase comes up three times here in this passage of Scripture, and it will come up again. It comes up in verse 6. It comes up in verse 12. It comes up in verse 14. Here's how you know. You don't just believe in grace. Yes, I know Salvation is by grace, right? Salvation is by grace, not by my good works. I'm not earning it. It's not just that you believe it. It's glorious to you. It's, it blows your mind. It's glorious to you that he did this, that he died on the cross. It captures your heart. You adore it. You start to sing songs. That's why we sing. We're singing people. We start to sing songs about it. Grace greater than all my sins. We sing about it. It's His grace, right? It captures you. It just captures you. It's the way spiritual blessings actually work themselves out in your life. You're amazed, and we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. There's no greater moral beauty in, than the story of someone saving another person's life. And you can read it in, in the scriptures, or you can read it in secular literature. I'm going to give you two examples, and I'm going to close. When you have a narrative, whether it's, whether it's biblically, or, or, or we're thinking about Christ and, and his death on the cross, or, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example in, in, in secular literature here in just a second, of someone dying a, a sacrificial life for somebody else. I mean, they're just given on the battlefield or whatever. That person dies for that other person, or a group of people, whatever. Uh, there's nothing greater than that. You know, and we, we talk about this. There's the true story. In 1982, Air Florida, Flight 90, was taking off from Washington National Airport. And it hit the 14th Street Bridge. And there's a picture, actually, of it. 
where this airline hit this bridge that was at the takeoff from Washington National. And it went right into the icy Potomac. And many of you will remember this. It was one of the greatest tragedies uh, of, of, of the airline industry. When the rescue helicopters arrived, there was only the tail sticking up out of the water. And that was it. And the, and the, the plane was just submerged. And there was one guy that was swimming around in the water that they saw. He was still moving. He was swimming around like he was aware of things that were gone. People were already kind of going to sleep because of the ice cold water and they were dying and some were already dead. And this is one guy swimming around here and every time they came to pick him up, they would circle around, they would drop down the cable, he would go under the water, he'd grab somebody and he'd bring them up and he'd put them on that cable line and they would take him to, to safety. And then they'd come back for him and he's still swimming around and they kept doing that. And he put another person there, and he's, he went down in the water, got another person, so there was three, there was four, there was five, and the last time they came back, he was gone. He was gone. It was Aaron Williams. The, the, the bridge is now named after him, the Aaron Williams Jr.'s Bridge. He had given his life, he'd saved five people, but he, in the process, his life was gone. And those five people, out of, out of all the people in the way, were the only people that were saved. The only people that were saved. In the sci-fi, I like sci-fi. Some of you might not like this, but you know, get over it. I like sci-fi. I don't get to watch it a lot because my wife doesn't like sci-fi. We've got some problems at home. But Harry, Harry Potter's mother... I only got to see one Harry Potter thing. I like Harry Potter. Some of you, I know you have problems with it. I don't care. So <laughs> I only saw the first one. And Mary didn't like it, and we haven't, I haven't seen any other since. You, you, you understand who's running things, right? All right. So Harry Potter's mother. Here, here, here's what I want to say. I say whether it's, whether it's real or whether it's fictional, it's, it says something. It says something. His Potter's mother gives her life for him. She just gives her life for him, and that's strong. It's a, it's a strong love that she has. It's the reason that Voldemort can't touch him. You know, he can't touch him. Why can't he touch him? So he goes, you know, I'll put it up on the screen here. This is a, this is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. And there's and we can feel this. When, when Harry asked Dumbledore, these, these names, why can't the bad guys touch me? And Dumbledore says, because your mother gave her life for you. That's a sacrificial love, and it's so strong. It means so much. That's the strongest power that there is, this sacrificial love. That puts a power on you that evil can't touch. That's the words he uses. Whether it's a children's book or whether it's the Gospels, reading the Gospel, that's right. That's right. That's right. There is no more powerful narrative structure when you're writing books or doing movies or plays. There's nothing more powerful. There's no more biblical, incredible moral beauty than that. 
Biblically speaking, there's, you know, what does Scripture say? There's no greater love than a person lay down their life. I mean, Jesus says that. It's right out of his mouth. There's no greater love. To not just read about somebody else doing that for whoever, but to know that Jesus came and did that for you. He did that for you. To give you eternal love, eternal life, to change the center of your life. And I'll close with that. It will move the center of things you used to find so captivating. Things you thought were so important. They no longer drive you. God in Christ will capture you with the love of Jesus. His glorious grace, right? His glorious grace. If your center is changed, you will be changed. That's a fact. If your center is changed, you will be changed. The thing that captures your hearts changes you. This is absolutely powerful. It's powerful spiritually. It's powerful in life. The thing that captures your heart, the sinner, will change you. So go out and find out what that means. Right? You take that little thing. I say meditate on these things. Meditate on this. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Go out and find out what that means. Meditate on that. Think about it. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Think about it. Meditate on it. Drill it in to your heart. Let's pray. So, Father, we're thankful. We're thankful today for your great love. And it, every time we talk about it, whether it be Good Friday and we see our Savior on the cross, the, the, the whole life of Jesus and how he loved, it just is something that astounds us and, and brings us great hope and great admiration and love and melts our hearts. We're thankful for this. We don't take this lightly, Lord. This, this um, that you would send your Son that you loved us from the foundations of the world. And that now we're in you. We are in Christ. We are part of your family. We have you as our Father. We have you as our Father. And because we have you as our Father and we're in you, we have these marvelous gifts. And we just, Lord, we just shared one today. But there's so many in Scripture, so many powerful things that help us to navigate our lives. We ask that you continue to, to, to bless this church, this congregation, people who love you, and not just our church, but churches all throughout this community, uh, their pastors, as they preach the gospel and minister, that uh, the love of Christ would just capture them all. And that's our heart, and that's our hope, and our prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.